Hey, this is Mark Kassoff, and this is RPM 45. The Whispers, twin brothers Scotty and Walter Scott and Lavelle Degree, are an L.A.-based R&B group that had a string of top 40 hits in the early 80s, like And the Beat Goes On, It's a Love Thing, and Rock Steady. But the group and its R&B success began more than a decade earlier. In this episode of RPM 45, we talk to the twins about all that and a lot more, including their brand new single, How Long, a message motivated by what's going on in our country right now. Here's our talk with Walter and Scotty Scott of The Whispers. Well, we started like most groups. We were from Los Angeles and uh, in the early 60s, as you remember, uh, everybody was like into the Motown thing, and as we were. We wanted to be like the Temptations and the Four Tops. So like most young guys, you know, we were doo-wopping. And we lived in uh, Watts in the projects. And, uh, we basically would kind of be outside late in the evening singing all of the R&B current songs. And uh, they had a series of talent shows that took place in Los Angeles. And we entered a talent show as the Scott Twins. And the other three guys who would later become part of the Whispers, they entered as a trio on that same talent show. And while we were waiting in, in the background to go on and do our respective acts, we started singing with each other, you know, all five of us. We liked what we heard as a fivesome, and we started a vocal group. We didn't really have a name until we went to a small label called Dore Records. Luberdell, who owned the company, he heard us, and he said, guys, you guys have a smooth sound. Kind of, you kind of sound like a whisper. Why don't we call you the whispers? We said to him, Mr. Burdell, if you give us this record deal, you can call us whatever you like. (laughs) Now, I I read that Sly Stone had something to do with you guys going up to San Francisco. Is that right? Well, at the time, Sly Stone was a disc jockey up in the Bay Area. Oh, that's right. I forgot that. Yeah. This is way before he became the great Sly Stone. But he was a disc jockey up in Oakland, California. And we had this one record that we had done, a record called Never Again. He liked the record. He brought us up to Oakland, put us on this radio station. We did an interview like kind of like we're doing now. In Los Angeles at that time, we were considered like a little local group. He kind of launched us. Then we came back to Los Angeles. By that time, we were known as a national group because we had a hit in the Bay Area. <laughs> and, you know, so we credit Sly Stone basically for giving us uh, the, really our start. In 1979, we released the album entitled simply The Whispers, and it had And the Beat Goes On. When we were doing And the Beat Goes On, we knew that that was a hit. Two months after it was out, it was uh, gold. Another month later, it was platinum, and another two months later, it was double platinum. I've considered myself a fan of yours for a long time. And I looked at some of your interviews that you guys have done, and they talk about how your music was romantic and all that. Right. Yeah. And for me, my experience of you guys is songs like And the Beat Goes On, Love Thing, Keep On Loving Me, uh, Rock Steady. That's what I think of. You know, that's when I became aware of you guys when you had those big up-tempo hits, you know? That's funny that you say that because before those hits came along, the little reputation that we did have, we were known as a balladeer kind of group. That's what I heard, yeah. Uh, so we were kind of known as balladeers, but the biggest records, as you say, that we've ever had, and the beat goes on, rock steady, it's a love thing. Yes. I love the production on those records. 
those records just pop. They're just energy. We were lucky enough to run into a young man, Leon Silvers. Oh, was, of the Silvers group? Yes. He was coming into his own as a producer. And we and when we went to Solar Records, we hooked up with Leon. He is the producer. We are the vocal group. And as you say, those songs, like It's a Love Thing and the Beat Goes On, they popped off the radio. It was incredible. And we give him the credit for it all the time. The production back then had took a change. You know, it was in your face. It was thumping. As a matter of fact, I would say from 1980 to 87, everything we touch was like that. Yeah. Then that's when I got to really know you, you know, as artists. I have to admit, I didn't know you until that stuff. And of course, that's when it did cross over, you know, and all. So. Well, that's probably why, because that's we, that it, it only it crossed and the beat goes on, which was really the biggest record. A lot of people think rock steady, but the biggest record we ever had was that the beat goes on. And, and the reason why you and other people became familiar with it, because it did cross over. Before that, we we can we were working what they called the Chitlin circuit. A lot of people, the white people in particular, didn't even know who we were, and they hadn't heard a lot of our music. And you've been around a long time. We've been around a long time. You know, we heard somebody say, "Hey, man, this new group, the Whispers." We started laughing because <laughs> we'd been singing fourteen years then. <laughs> so it was just a heck of a ride, and the rest is history. You were an overnight sensation after 14 years. 14 years, right. So you guys had some losses, though, along the way. One of your guys lost his voice in an accident. And that was Gordy Harmon. Yeah, and and then you had uh, Marcus, who who died of cancer, and he was never replaced. Oh, year 2000, yeah. And Nicholas Caldwell, I guess, he was the heart and soul of the thing. You know, that's the sense I get from listening to you guys talk about him. Right. Nicholas Caldwell was the heart and soul, the core of what we think we are about. We lost him in 2016, but he came to us. He said, guys, I'm going to design something from the tip of the stage of the curtain until the time that you walk out. I want to design what it is we're going to be doing and how we're going to be doing it and why we're going to be doing it. And and basically, uh, that was the style. When you see the whispers, we came from the generation where, you know, the Temptations, the Four Tops, we're always about routines, big bands, you know, seven, eight-piece band. Everybody's well-dressed. All the guys wearing the same thing, you know. We took that and mastered it. And uh, I think our style became as much of what we were as, as our hits, but it all derived from Nicholas Caldwell. He talked about what it is we want to talk about on stage. He wanted us to be known as having extreme respect for women. From his, uh, from his brain, we kind of executed his style, and it, and it really, here we are 54 years later with that style. So you, you've had some losses. You haven't replaced those um, members that died. No, we would never do it. Uh, to be honest with you, uh, Scotty and I are through in Lavelle. That's probably, we, we might, Lavelle has always talked about forming a brand new young group called The Whispers, but we would never replace what you see on stage today. Thanks to technology, we're able to do the background parts, and uh, Scotty and I, we're blessed to be able to still sing the song, so that's what we prefer. And as far as we're concerned, whenever we're out there on stage, Nichols and Marcus are with us. That's how we feel about it. Wow. That's strong. So you say you're, you're thinking about starting a younger version of The Whispers? Well, not, not now. If we ever retired, uh, but that's, that's, that's a ways away. Before the pandemic hit, we were still working eight months out of the year. 
As a matter of fact, we sing in the same key today that we sang in 54 years ago. That's great, because some, some singers I hear can't do it anymore. No, we, we, I can vouch for that. We know some of them personally. <laughs> you know, but you know what? More power to them. You, know, you can do a lot of things with technology. If you come to see our show, uh, you kind of know. We're still singing the same way we've always sung. And, 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 and in all fairness to some of the other groups who are, maybe don't sing quite like they used to, now we're back to that phrase, the importance of a hit record. That's how strong a hit record is. We know acts right now that they may not sing like they did, let's say, 10 years ago. But because the hit was so big, the audience sings the hit form. That's no question. The audience, you know, if they can hear just a little semblance of the hit, we have groups singing today, they can't quite hit the same notes, but it really doesn't matter. Their band and the the song itself is what matters. So you talked about the Chitlin circuit, and then all of a sudden you had these crossover hits and it changed your audience. What's your audience like today? It is so fantastic. Today, the audience consists of as many young people. Because, you know, we, the, the music has been categorized now. You know, it's old school, it's hip hop. And young people, they are so curious about our era of music. And I think it's because of their parents. You know, their parents introduced them. You know, when you look at 2000, you go back to the 80s, that's 20 years earlier. We look out in our audience and we see these young people in their 20s and they singing, their lips singing our music just like we are. We sign all these autographs with people that are in their early 20s. And the first thing out of their mouth is my mom and dad and my granddad were playing your music all over the house. We were watching Don Cornelius and Soul Train and we see you on there. It's the most amazing thing. It's just incredible. It's the power. I really think uh, straight ahead R&B music will never die. It's very strong. Who do, who do you listen to today? If you listen, if you're looking for new music or whatever, what, who do you like out there? Oh, there's some good young talent. Um, I think I'm very impressed with the females in particular. I think that, of course, Beyonce and and, I mean, they're they're so different than we are. They they, everything they do, they own. When we came up, you were at the mercy of the record company. You had to do what they wanted you to do because you lacked the clout to stretch out your wings and, and be, you know, producers. These young people today, they just it's just incredible. The opportunity that's at their foot. I hear these stories uh, more often than I I would like to about people uh, who sold a lot of records and the record company didn't give them their share and all that. Uh, Did you have that experience at all with record companies? Before 1980 in the 70s, if a record company wanted you to do something, you had to do it. If you wanted the exposure and they knew that. And so you look around and your royalty rate was nothing. I mean, you paid for everything. Well, you know, <clears throat> what it amounted to back, starting with Lou Richard, James Brown, and all of that. Let's just be honest. We got famous and they got rich. It is just, that's, that's what basically what happened. And at the time, you do the either ignorance or whatever you want to call it, the priorities were that we were so happy to be doing what we loved to do. We honestly didn't have a lot of administrative sense as far as I'm concerned. And they took full advantage of that. The difference between the whispers and the ones that are left, we, we outlived them because <laughs> so, we're still here. And we got to a point to where we could start enjoying some of the profits as sto- instead of being excited about a, a pair of tennis shoes, if you know what I'm saying. So here we are 50 years later, and we tell all young people, 
don't make the mistakes that we made. At least know your value. And there's one word that I, I can't believe I'm even saying it, but my parents used to tell us, get yourself educated. Now, some of the young rappers, educated or not, they were just angry enough to say, no, no. If I'm going to make $10 million, at least give me half of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> was, it's just basic common sense. But nowadays, there's a big difference. You see, like Walt said, they understand. Not only do they understand ownership, they take they take it. They own their own product. If you're going to deal with them, you got data boss. We didn't have that luxury when we were coming up. But you're smart enough to figure it out and change course. Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Yeah. So, so that's great. One of the interviews I did a few weeks ago was with Mary Wilson. And I don't know if you read her book, but uh, she, she talks about how when she signed for Motown, they, they didn't even have lawyers or anything. In fact, in our interview, I said, you didn't have a lawyer. She said, lawyers? Who had lawyers in the ghetto? You know? Exactly. Exactly. So, in her book, she talks about how she would, they would have to sell like a million copies of a record and they to net like five grand or something. It was yeah. crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And that's including the Temptations who, and you know, most stand-up vocal groups that do what we do, we look at the Temptations as the mountaintop. What they received for going to the mountaintop was nothing. And, you know, I I mean, I I don't mean to speak ill of anybody. When I think of Barry Gordy and Dick Griffey in our case, Dick Griffey aspired to be like Barry Gordy, but Barry Gordy aspired to be like the record companies that came before him. Hmm. as little as possible, and you take the most that you can get from these young people who don't understand business. That speaks to the Temptations, the whole Motown roster. They didn't, they, they, in no way did they receive what they should have received. They had the biggest records. You remember the Temptations. One who came out with all the publishing was Barry Gordy. If your priority was fame and they knew that's what your priority was, they'd give you all the fame you could hold. You know, being famous and being broke. They were kids, you know. They were just thrilled to be hanging around Motown, and they were so young, you know. Especially the guys. You know, I hate to say this, but it's just the truth. I mean, most young guys our age back in the day, they were more interested in getting the girls because once uh-huh. they found out that the girls liked what they did, they, they didn't even think about no money. Just get me, <laughs> where, get me to where the girls are, and then we'll go from there. As funny as that might sound, you well know that makes no sense. But, you know, we were long before sense came about. <laughs> and uh, later on, when they finally woke up, you know, the girls was gone and wasn't no money left. I was debating whether to ask you this question. But now that you brought that up, we all hear about rock groupies, right? We've all heard about rock and roll groupies. I never heard anyone talk about R&B groupies. No, they were there. I bet they were. Yeah. By the by the load pins. I mean, no, because that's what kept you from thinking about publishing. <laughs> you didn't know anything about publishing. You know, if a guy said, I'm going to give you a 3% royalty rate. And you said to yourself, wait a minute, what is that? I know I was on stage last Saturday and the girls were screaming, but I didn't think about a royalty rate because it didn't mean anything to me. What meant something to me was being dressed up, doing these fabulous routines and having all these young ladies screaming. But when I went home, I probably didn't have as much, as much money as they did. That's what happened. Of course, you started pretty young, right? I mean, did you have a time of being single during all this? I plead guilty. Uh, the only thing that saved me when I first joined the Whispers, I got drafted and ended up going to Vietnam. 
But when I came back, uh, I joined I joined the party. You recorded your last album uh, over 10 years ago, is that right? Our, our gospel album. Right, Thankful. Yeah, that's the last album that we recorded. And, and of course, uh, we came with what we have now as a result of just watching what was happening on a national scale in our country. And we said, you know what? We've got to come with a song that relates to what's going on in our country. We've always been kind of, you know, there to sing the message music that related to the times. But this song that we now have was written in 1983. The song called How Long, asking the question, how long are we going to argue? How long are we going to fight? How long are we going to try to change the wrong to right? When we heard that lyric, we said, no matter what it takes, we got to get this song out now. And we recorded this song in my brother's garage wearing masks. I would sing my part, put my mask back on, go in the house. Lavelle would come back out in the garage with his mask on, take it off, sing his part. And we got that song completed. And we did the video, which was filmed at Scotty's house in my house. And we wanted to get this song out because we thought it was that important. And so that's how this song came about called How Long. And did you release it? Yeah, it's out. Okay. You today, yeah, absolutely. It's been out. It debuted in the UK at number thirteen. It's been out now about three weeks. We think it's going to be all right. Uh, but it, what even more than that, we wanted to have our message out as singers about how we feel about what's going on, and we think that that's what this song does. It's called "How Long." Okay, and as far as US, are you getting airplay on that yet? Are you? How's that going? We've got a few stations. We're on in Washington D.C. We're trying to get it on in the urban cities, St. Louis, Los Angeles, New York, Cleveland, Detroit. And we're in the process. We're trying to do that right now. Uh, but we feel, we, we feel very good about it. Okay. Well, hey, I, I didn't know about that until just now. So let's, let's push it. And we'll make sure that you get a copy of it. But, but what's important now is that we thank you, my man, for giving us this platform to push what it is that we're doing. Because this, this record is very important. What, what, what's important to us, we think two of the most important elements is that music keeps people together and thank God for the, the cell phone because now we don't have to plead to nobody about what's really happening. They can see it for themselves. Back in the day, we didn't have the cell phone. Today, you don't have to take our word for it. You can look at the average cell phone and it'll show you. What happened to George Floyd it just so happened that day everybody was home and they got to see it for themselves. You know, this is nothing new for us. This has been going on forever. But now, thanks to that cell phone, it's working better. Mark, we want to just say thank you, man. We've covered everything that we think we should, but we want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to have this platform to talk about it. So we thank you very much. Well, thank you so much for coming. I I do appreciate you. Thank you, Walter and Scotty. Great guys. I really enjoy talking with them. And if you enjoyed the interview and RPM 45 in general... I would like to ask you for a favor, uh, which is, first of all, please subscribe and also rate us and give us a good rating, please. And secondly, we have a new Facebook page. So if you would like that, I'd like that. We'll be back next Wednesday on RPM 45.